One Hope Church. Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here this morning um, as we continue our study through the book of Genesis. And uh, Genesis is such an awesome book. So much to learn from it. And I keep finding myself thinking we're going to, you know, move more quickly. But then it's so, parts of it are so rich and there's really good things. And um, it's going to take us a while to get through this book, but it's going to be worth um, every week that the Lord gives us to do so. Um, So again, just to set the scene and remind us, especially um, if you're new with us the last uh, few weeks or this week, you're just jumping in. So just a reminder that the book of Genesis um, is foundational for what um, followers of Jesus believe because it tells us like, you know, how we got here, what, you know, um, what God's plan is, um, what's the condition of us as, as human beings in relation to God. And so all these things are, are really critical um, and important for us to remember. So in the beginning of Genesis, it starts out with God being the ultimate creator. Um, and again, you know, I believe a good understanding of the Bible and a good understanding um, of science are, are not um, in conflict. They don't need to be um, in conflict. Um, but we do give priority to the Word of God in, it, in, in terms of what is checking what, <laughs> you know, here. Um, and what God has said is that He has created us in His image. Um, and this is really, really um, important because, again, if God has made us in his image, then God gets to explain to us his expectations for us, how God expects us to live. Um, however, if um, we are here, you know, by, you know, random chance um, and there is no creator, we are not made in God's image, then that has serious implications. Um, and it takes away any real foundation of morality. Um, it takes away any real foundation of being able to say, um, well, we are all equal. If Darwin is right, then it is truly, he is right also, because <laughs> he said this, that some are superior to others. Some, some groups are superior to other groups, and some are inferior to others. Based on what the Word of God says, we refute that. Um, we refute that, but it's something that the word, that, sorry, the world um, lives in contradiction with itself. Because on one hand, we have these movements that say everyone is equal, and, and just this last week, there was a, um, an article on BBC saying, you know, Charles Darwin was way ahead of his time in terms of, you know, this, um, you know, these amino acids in this um, warm, you know, body of water forming, you know, life. And so the world on the one hand wants to say you're here randomly and you have no purpose. And then at the same time gets super agitated when things don't seem to be fair or just. That's interesting. Because deep down, I believe we intrinsically know that there is more to this world than just ourselves. And that we do have purpose. 
we do have meaning. And it has been given to us by one who is greater than us. And so the story goes on to um, Adam and Eve's um, disobedience um, in the garden and how sin came into the world and then the exceeding wickedness of humanity. And we know humans can be um, terribly wicked. Um, there are even some churches that want to preach that humans are, are naturally good. And again, I question whether any of those folks had children. Um, you know, but yeah, that's, uh, that's just a, a note there. Um, but you know, they, they want to say you were just basically good, you know, just products. And it's like, no, 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 no. We do not teach our kids to be selfish or to lie or other things. They, they do that just naturally and fine, um, on their own. Um, and so, uh, we, we have an issue, we have a problem and it's a sin problem. And then we get and we read of God separating the peoples and sending them out throughout the world and giving um, all the various languages um, that we have today. And then he calls, God calls um, Abram, he's going to change his name to Abraham, but God calls Abram um, and says that he's going to make a great nation out of him. And in, the, in his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that's a prophetic um, looking forward. Um, it looks forward to the coming um, of Jesus. And so um, today we are going to continue in this story. Last week we saw that um, Abraham, though a great man of faith, was not perfect. When he goes down to Egypt with his wife Sarah, he's afraid that the um, Egyptian, the Egyptians will kill him and that Pharaoh, you know, will, will take Sarah from him. So he says, you know, just, just act like you're my sister. Just act like you're my sister, you know, and, and we'll just tell them you're my sister. And then that way they don't kill me. Now, it's amazing God had made a promise to, to Abraham that he would be protected. And yet in a moment of stress, of pressure, Abraham <laughs> forgets that and doesn't act boldly as he should. He should have walked right into Pharaoh's palace and said, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Abram. It's my wife, Sarah. And um, God has promised us the following things. And so that's just a warning to you to not try to harm me. That would have been the much better route <laughs> to take. But fear is a real issue for us. And so now we're going to talk about what happens to with Abraham and Lot as they, you know, when they leave Egypt and go back um, into the Negev, into the land of, of um, Canaan and surrounding areas. And so um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll be in Genesis chapter 13, um, beginning in verse 5. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to gather to worship your name, to worship you through song, um, through prayer, uh, that we have an opportunity to be in your word and to learn from it. We pray that we would be humble before you today, God, and that you would teach us from your word. We thank you for those who are joining with us this morning um, here in this parking lot and also online. And Lord, we thank you that in you, Jesus, 
we have an opportunity to be one family and united in your name and have a common purpose and to um, to love you and to, to love our neighbors and, Lord, to strive to do what is right and good in this world. And so we thank you again for this opportunity we have this morning. Please work among us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. In chapter 13, verse 5, it said, Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's stock. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all of the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to, toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated there from each other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pinched, pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And so, in this passage, we see that Abraham gave Lot the choice. You know, Abraham uh, wanted to keep the family unity, and in for that is kind of interesting. There had to be a little bit of spatial separation um, between the two, and, you know, I'm sure they're going to get together on Thanksgiving and Christmas. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is, those things didn't... Those things didn't exist in, in the book of Genesis um, at this this time. But, you know, they're going to get together and um, still obviously be family and, and see each other. But they didn't want the strife, especially because their flocks were so great. And, the, the you know, the people watching the flocks were, were fighting each other, you know, arguing with each other. And what are they fighting about? They're fighting about, you know, whose sheep get to graze on, on which lands and use, you know, the water from which wells and, you know, things of like that, and, and there's conflict that comes about. And Abraham doesn't want the conflict. And it was his responsibility, you know, as the uncle of, of Lot to be the one to suggest a solution. And so he says, you know, let's, let's separate, and I'm going to let, you know, think about this, this, humility and grace that Abraham has with Lot. He says, I'm going to let you pick. You know, Lot's not going to be able to say, you know, however things went down, oh, well, my hand was forced, you know, Abraham sent me over here and then I didn't do as well. So there's going to be no place for bitterness. You know, Abraham's not going to leave any place for his nephew to be to be bitter against them about how this deal was made. So he says, you pick. It's kind of like, you know, when, you know, with kids, sometimes we get you got a couple kids or multiple kids, and there's a there's a pie. You know, who's going to get our cake? You know, who's going to get which piece? You let one pick, you let one cut, but that one that cuts doesn't get to be the one that picks, right? 
You know, somebody else picks. The other one picks. That's how you make it fair. And Abraham wants to deal deal fairly with his nephew. And that's a, that's a good lesson. And so Lot sees this and he's evaluating. He says, which way do I want to go? Do I want to go west or do I want to go east? And he looks east and he sees, you know, the plains of Jordan. He sees a beautiful, rich, well-watered, the resources are there. You know, the, the water is there, the grass is there. And he says, this is going to be easy money. You know, this is where the easy money is and the big money is. And I want the easy, big money. I'm heading east. But he hasn't calculated into his decision the spiritual atmosphere. You see, the thing about it is it's interesting because, you know, Abraham and a lot at this point are, are some of the few among the earth that worship Yahweh, you know, the true and living God. Yahweh is the God's, God's name in, in Hebrew, and there's many names given in Hebrew um, for God, but Yahweh being, um, you know, a cr- critical, critical word, critical name. And... Yet, there are differences in the amount of wickedness from one, in, in one city or one region to another. We understand this in our world today. You know, we, you know, everywhere is sinful, but there's some places you're afraid to go at night, and there's some places you're, you're still afraid to go in broad daylight. Why is that? In some places, you're not afraid to go at it either. There's still wickedness and sinful things happening there. But, you know, when you're in, in one of those cities or one of those places, you know, you turn your life, lights out at night and you sleep soundly. Whereas in another place, you might, you know, be a little more on the alert of what could happen. Because there, there is sinfulness everywhere. There is wickedness everywhere among humans. You know, when that um, escalates... It often escalates itself in in violent ways that are dangerous for people who are what we would consider sinful, but less sinful. Having an average sinfulness that we all have. And especially that all have who are not um, restrained... And there's different types of restraints that God has given for us as human beings. You know, there are those who are, there are those who are restrained because they fear God. That would be, you know, I think most of us here. You know, we fear God because we know he's the one who set out the rules. And so we, we understand he's the one who judges. And so we say, well, we don't want to be on the wrong side of God. So what that means is there's a certain ethic that we have towards life. Now, we've actually been called to even something much higher than that because we haven't been called to do no harm. We haven't been called to just do no evil. We're actually called to do great good. No one 
if people are truly followers of Jesus, there is nothing to fear from followers of Jesus. Nothing to fear. Why? Because we desire peace. We're patient. We're loving. We're kind. We're gentle. That's the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit played out in your life. There's nothing to fear from a follower of Jesus because a follower of Jesus is going to be kind. Now I want to be careful that I don't make a sound um, incapable. Because Jesus was the most meek, yet he was also the strongest, right? What is meekness? Meekness is not the lack of strength, but the restraint of it. See, at any point going to the cross, Jesus could have stopped that whole scenario. But he doesn't because of his love for us. So don't misunderstand. I'm not calling us to to like an intentional weakness or something like that. No. But a restraint. But in this world, there are many who love violence and who make their places of living and and the people around them live in fear. And so God has also given us, you know, government laws and you know, things of that nature to help, you know, the purpose is to help restrain violence. Now, as is in many places in the world where, you know, government, you know, all government is human, so all government has a certain amount of corruption. But where governments are utterly corrupt, then they don't protect their people. Because they take the bribes to turn the other way. And we have many friends in many parts of the world who have to live in that reality. My point here, though, with this passage is that Lot is looking at the situation through a financial lens. He's not looking at the situation through a spiritual lens. What impact is this decision going to have on his spiritual life? What impact is this decision going to make spiritually on the life of the herdsmen that work for him? What impact spiritually is this going to have on his family? See, he's not considering those things. He just looks and sees a a beautiful land full of grass for his sheep and water. And when he sees that green in our terminology, he sees dollar signs. He sees shekels. <laughs> he sees he sees gold and silver coins. And so he does not contemplate with any 
seriousness, the wickedness of the people, where he's going to take his family and his people. See, and, and here's what's interesting about it. If Lot had had a little more discernment, he would have remembered that even, you know God had promised Abraham that God was going to protect Abraham. That it was actually Abraham that was spear-proof, arrow-proof, what we would call bulletproof, And he was not. You see, even... When Abraham messed it up, God still, because of God's promise, protected him in Egypt. And Lot witnessed that. See, Lot wasn't given that same promise. He's the vulnerable one. And knowing that, he should have made a lot more serious evaluation about his risk. See, he made a risk-reward calculation, but he didn't actually calculate the risk. He only looked at the reward side of the equation. You ever make one of those lists? You made a pro and con list about a decision you had to make. But then if you were honest yourself with yourself, you realized that you, know, you had put down all the pros, but you had kind of just ignored the cons. Why? Because you were biased. You had what you wanted in mind before you even started making that list. The decision had already been made. You were just going through motions at that point. See, this happens a lot of times. There's a, there's a lesson here from Lot. I'll give you one. University students, we're glad you're here. I've had conversations with many university students over the years, and a lot of times, you know, when people get near graduation and they they start going, you know, what's next, and they start applying for jobs. So they get offered this job, you know, in another place, and they they're excited, and they come and say, hey, I got offered this job, and I got you know this other place. And they talk about the company and what they plan on doing. And you know, it's like, man, that sounds like a wonderful opportunity. That sounds great. Now, what can you tell me about the Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching church you're going to be part of there? You know what the answer is a lot of times? I have no idea. I have no idea. You see, because... They're looking at what? The opportunity. They're looking at their expenses. They're looking at perhaps they got some college debt. Or perhaps, you know, the, the help, financial help received before isn't going to be there. You know, they know they're going to be more on their own. And so they're looking at life through this lens of like, where, where am I going to go that's going to pay the bills or where I can thrive? And that looks like a cool city and there's things to do there. But what about asking the spiritual questions? So working in that company, is that going to, you know, encourage your walk with the Lord or hinder it? 
Have you asked that question? Are you going to be on an island by yourself in that community, you know, hunting and searching to find somebody else who's like-minded, who loves Jesus? Or is there people there that you can plug right into and, and you're confident? You see, because you've done your homework. And you know you've at least got some really good options when it comes to communities of people who, who are really serious about following Jesus. But I'm not just going to pick on university students there, and it's not picking on, it's just, you know, one of those transitions of life that have to get dealt with. But there's other transitions of life. You know, people are making those same decisions all throughout their adult lives, but the problem is those decisions are often made the same way. A lot of times what we end up doing, kind of like Lot, is just making our decision about what we think is best and then ask God to bless it on the back end. What I want to propose for us this morning is that there's a better way. Where we seek the Lord on the front side. And there's a blessing that comes with that in verses 14 and 15. And this is in the context of, of Lot taking the better land. And then in verse 14, and the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. See, God wasn't going to just leave Abraham in a situation where, okay, you did the right thing, and now I'm going to forget you. See, you know, God always remembers obedience. Now, I want to be really careful here. Be really careful here. Because, you know, some people are going to take this and just, you know, run with it, and, and it's all about the physical blessings. You know, sometimes God does bless us physically, gives us material things to enjoy and to use for his glory. But folks, do we, we have to have our minds changed about our priorities? You see, we talk about physical well-being, we talk about emotional well-being, we talk about mental well-being, we talk about spiritual well-being. Well, what's the order of those things? How do you pray for yourself? How do you pray for others? How do you pray for your children or for the children of others? What's the priority? Because that oftentimes is where it tells us where our heart's at. What our priorities are. See, so if our priorities are primarily our, for ourselves and for others, their material well-being, their emotional happiness, that tells us something. 
terms of priority, and it's not necessarily the order that matters, but it's certainly the priority that matters. But even, you know, like I, th- I think about it in terms of, you know, what I want for my kids is, is what I should want for everybody. In terms of, you know, you want what's best for your kids. It's want what's best for your kids. If you apply those same principles, you want what's best for everybody. Well, what, what do we pray for our kids first? Their spiritual health. That they would know God. They would have faith in God. They would love God. They would be obedient to God. That they would follow God their whole lives. That their spiritual health is more important than anything else. We should pray for their spiritual health with the same veracity that we would pray for their physical health if they had cancer. Because what's every parent going to do if their kid has cancer? They're going to get down on their knees and they're going to beg and ask God for help, right? Well, spiritually, we should be on our knees begging God to help our kids. And that their lives would, you know, they would know Jesus. They would live for Jesus their whole lives. That emotionally, they would understand who they are in Christ. They would have their identity in Jesus. Mentally, that they would grow to know the truth of God through the scriptures. And yes, physically, that they would be taken care of and that they would be healthy. And that their bodies would also be used in the the glory of God. They would give their best effort in that regard. And that's how we should pray for ourselves. And that's how we should pray for our friends. And that's how we should pray for people who don't know Jesus yet. Understanding that the spiritual well-being is what's most important. The spiritual health is the most critical because we are eternal beings living in temporary tents in a temporary place. So when you have decisions to make in life, we need to be asking the question, what is the best decision spiritually? got three G's for you and I normally don't do that. (laughs) I just normally don't give you like, well, we got three G's or we got this acrostics or whatever. It's not normally my, my way of, of preaching, but I got three G's for you this morning in your decision making. The first is one to glorify God the most. So when you're sitting there making that decision, Say it's a decision between two things or the decision to to stay what you're doing or to change to something else. The question, first question is, what's going to glorify God the most? 
That's the first question. What's going to glorify God the most? I think these other two questions help can help give clarity to that first question, but that first question is really the one that matters. Because what's going to give clarity to that is the second. Give the most spiritual benefit to others. Give. We got glorify and we got give. Give the most spiritual benefit to others. Is this decision that I'm about to make? Which decision, which option gives the most spiritual benefit to others? And third, grow. Which decision is going to grow you in the grace of God? That's going to increase your faith and eternal impact. What's going to increase your faith and eternal impact? You see, because a lot of times the choice that the Lord wants us to make isn't the one where we look out and just go, oh, there's water and green pastures over there. See, a lot of times the Lord calls us to something harder. You know, and there there are times, I'm not going to rule this out, there are, there are certainly times when... The decision that you have to make, the decision to, you know, A or B, that the decision, you know, does have a greater financial benefit. But again, is that just for you or is that to give God more glory or is that to benefit other people? What's the purpose in that? You see, motivation matters. You see, there's, there's people who want to be rich so they can be rich. And there's people who want to be rich so they can give a lot of money to other people. Well, there's a world of difference between those two. It's called motivation. What's your motivation? And our utmost motivation must be to glorify God. Because that's what we were, what we were created for. That goes back to being made in the image of God and our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. See, our purpose is not just to do what we want to do, live how we want to live, make the decisions that we want to make, and then on the backside go, Lord, please bless all that. In a southern way, we'd say, please bless this mess. A lot of times the mess that we've made because on the front side we didn't see God's face like we were supposed to. So seek the Lord. Remember the words of Jesus, Matthew 6, 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Now, again, context, what are all these things? Well, those were like the basic necessities of life, like food and shelter and clothing, like that sort of stuff. But we as followers of Jesus, if we're going to be serious about following Jesus, we need to take the words of Jesus seriously here because he didn't give us a suggestion that we should seek the kingdom of God first. He gave us a command. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's a command. 
That's not like a, hey, here's a good idea that will make your life a little bit better. By one try. No, it's a command. Like if you're seriously about following Jesus, then if you're not seeking first the kingdom of God, you're living in disobedience. If I'm not seeking the kingdom of God, then I am living in active disobedience and rebellion against God. Period. Like, this is what God, I mean, Jesus says, like when Jesus says something, folks, like we got to take it seriously. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. But the second part of this is what we often forget. What does he say? And his righteousness. See, we often forget about that part of the verse. We often remember, seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm supposed to do that. All right. And his righteousness. We often forget that part. What is his righteousness? It's his, it's his holiness. His perfection. His purity. His justice. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, we talked about this last week about how there's a pull, even in the, even in, in churches that really do preach the word and, and have an emphasis on, on Jesus. There's still this pull toward mediocrity. That tells us we don't have to seek first the kingdom of God. That tells us we don't have to seek his righteousness. That we can just, you know, be largely in the world and then, you know, we can sing a few praise songs and it's okay. But that we don't have to be so radical. That we don't really need to pursue holiness in our lives. That, you know, we're just going to kind of ignore the message where we're told to to be holy as as he is holy. We're just going to, let's just put that under the rug. Let's just keep that in a place and, or or we just, you know, that's just for a few. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to send them. You know, to a place where there's just people like that. Or we'll send them to another country. Let's just get them away from us. Instead of expecting and having a clear expectation that all followers of Jesus would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the reality of of that is... The, the main reason for that is because the church as a whole is more concerned about quantity than it is quality. We'd rather have more of everything if it means less holiness. If it means less seriousness. We'd rather have more of everything. than to have more 
seek first the kingdom of God and more righteousness and less of everything else. finish with these verses in Colossians 3 by way of reminder. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 7. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Paul is giving a reminder to the church at Colossus. Hey, if these things are true, if you were raised with Christ, you know, if you were identified in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, set, you know, your, where your mind is on things above. Seek those things which are above, not on the earth. Why? Because you died, your life is hidden with Christ and God, and, you know, you're gonna, your life is gonna appear with Him in glory, like, focus on the eternal, not the temporary. And He says, there's things that you should put to death. Things that you should have no no place for in your own life. And this is really personal because he's not like, hey, don't, you know, don't put up with things in the world. No, don't put up with these things in your own heart is the message. Don't put up with these things in your own heart. And he says this, in which you yourselves once walked in them. You yourselves walked walked when you lived in them, in these things, these are the things that you did before you came to Jesus. Now don't go back to them. Like that's how you used to think and that's how you used to act and that's what you, you know, how you used to talk but all that should be changed now because you're in Jesus. And we'll finish with verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can I fire off this tweet in the name of the Lord Jesus? Can I write this post on Facebook in the name of the Lord Jesus? Can I... Do this at my job in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can I treat my neighbor this way in the name of Jesus? The answer is yes, go. The answer is no, stop. I mean, can we do it in the name of Jesus? Whatever you do, do all. In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Of all people, we as followers of Jesus should live with an attitude of gratitude, with thanksgiving, joy, and peace in our hearts because we know who our king is. And we know who is going to return one day and set everything straight. So regardless of our circumstances, 
we can give thanks. Regardless of our circumstances, we can seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. God has called us to such. And so may we humble ourselves this morning and ask God to give us the strength and to empower us so that we might live in such a way that honors our Lord. And that in our decisions, and this is true whether you're 15, you're 20, you're 40, you're 75, in all the decisions that we have to make on the front end, the process, the process of seeking God. I'll finish with that. The process in our decisions of seeking God on the front end. You see, it would be better to be able to say, you know, I gave an honest effort to know the will of God and I got it wrong. Then to have kind of like, you know, just by the grace of God, making the right decision, but without that process of actually having salt. What is for the Lord? You get that? Be, ready, be, be better off to get it wrong, to do it right and get it wrong. Is oftentimes better than getting it right but doing it wrong. Sometimes in God's grace, he just doesn't allow you to make the dumb choice or the wrong choice. But let's not count on that. Let's be people who seek the Lord's face and say, Lord, what do you want? Seek the Lord's face. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you. Lord, thank you. That you are trustworthy, God. Thank you in the lesson that we learned this morning. Abraham was willing to defer a lot and Lord you still took care of him that Abraham didn't have to be the aggressive one and to set his own good in mind that he was able to look out for the good of another and leave the results in your hands So, Lord, we're thankful this morning for this lesson, both positive and negative. And, Lord, in our decisions, help us to make our decisions, Lord, in a way that brings glory and honor to you and that our lives would be for your glory, that we would seek first the kingdom and your righteousness. And so, Lord, as we take that bread and cup this morning and we... we first confess our sins and I pray that you would help each one of us to do that before we take and we ask as we take it Lord we ask that you would help us that you would have the first place in our lives dear God Jesus we're so thankful you went to the cross for us and it's in your name that we pray these things amen again we're, we're so glad you're here if you're um, with us um, 
we have the bread and and cup um, on the table over here, and uh, you're welcome to take that. We'll sing a couple of, of songs to help you to to focus and and to spend a little time with the Lord. But the Scripture tells us to examine our hearts before we take it. So we encourage you to do that uh, this morning. Um, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you are welcome to take it. We don't have any um, other parameters than you know you you know Jesus as your Savior and King. And that you've examined your heart before you take it. And, and both of those things are you know, between you and the Lord. Um, so we in, encourage you on that end. And then um, we'll, we'll do that and, and have a few announcements. So thank you.